Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. campus bands one more time. These guys, great, great to have you guys with us. Thank you so much. Just awesome, man. Wow. Those are some serious pipes right there. That is, that's impressive, man. I love it. We thought, what better way to kick off our series Pop God than with that kind of scorcher by Adele rolling in the deep. Who's familiar with Adele? You know, the English uh, singer. Awesome. Yeah, very good. This is from her second album, uh, 21, which just kind of blew up this year. Uh, Rolling in the Deep was her kind of breakthrough ballad. It was, it was the biggest single of, of the last year, according to Billboard, in nice timing. She's received six Grammy nominations, uh, including Record of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best Music Video. Th- isn't it nice when MTV still made music videos? Isn't that kind of a nice, that's kind of a nice moment? It's a powerful song. It's kind of this tidal wave of, of you know, grief and emotion and heartache. The first time I heard it, it was because my nine-year-old daughter was singing it in the back of my Jeep. She had her iPad on, and, she, and, she's, and she's like, we could have had it all. And I'm driving. I'm like, she's nine years old. So we get in the parking lot, and I go, I go do, do you know what that's about? And she goes, that's a woman in pain, Daddy. So I was like, whoa, hey, oh, hey, yeah, that is, man, indeed. There's blood on those tracks, right? That's soul. You can sense the fire behind the lyric. It's about a woman done wrong. She says, there's a fire starting in my heart. Reaching a fever pitch, it's bringing me out the dark. The scars of your love remind me of us, and they keep me thinking that we almost had it all. For anybody who's been burned, anybody who had a dream for a relationship with someone special only to watch it go down in flames, you know how she feels. You held my heart in your hand, but you played it to the beat. The scars of love. Rolling Stone said, uh, the biggest hit from the biggest album of the year is a breakup scorcher to beat all breakup scorchers with Adele slinging bolts of regretful scorn amid gospel-tinged stomp in a gaggle of soul-sister backup singers. I love it. To me, what was shocking is how young Adele is. Her, her album title is 21, and she herself is only 22 years old, which kind of makes you wonder, like, where did she get this depth and soul from? And I did some background research, and Adele actually had a very hard life growing up. She was actually raised by a single mum. Penny actually had her at age 19, and she and her mom lived kind of in a a cramped, you know, bedroom apartment in South London where they kind of eked out a living. Her father left when Adele was only three years old, and his life spiraled down into alcoholism. So as a child, Adele kind of just poured that heartache and emotion into her music. This is a picture of her London flat where she wrote many of the songs of her first album. So it's really been this kind of struggle to stardom. Uh, She's overcome a life of hardship. And Rolling in the Deep is about a painful event in her life. It's a painful breakup with an anonymous ex. She never, she never names the guy that she's singing about, but I think we can agree, sucks to be him. 
That's just like, that's like, wow. <laughs> Everybody's singing that. Now, the reason we chose this song, because it's the perfect kickoff, uh, really a soundtrack, the best soundtrack to the book of Hosea. That's the biblical text we're going to walk through over the next few weeks and dig into. And here's how this is going to work. Each week, we're going to take a popular song that you'll probably recognize, you know, from the radio or iTunes, wherever you listen to music. And we're going to draw a connection between the message of that song and the message of the Bible. The two actually have a lot in common, particularly the book of Hosea, because it's a story about a relationship gone wrong, and there's a lot of songs out there with that theme. So if you're new, by the way, I just need to call this out. You may be like here today, like, what did I just walk into? You know, secular songs in church. Here's the deal. We really value music and media at Liquid. In fact, it's a, it, we feel it's a big part of the way that God's called us to communicate the gospel to the next generation. And I think, candidly, uh, it really gives us a window, window into a lot of the hurts and, and, and dreams and questions that people have in contemporary culture. A visitor came up to me after service and said, well, I went to a church where they told us to avoid secular music. Like, you know, don't listen to the radio, rock and roll is the devil, stuff, that sort of thing. And I'm familiar with that perspective. But there are really basically two postures as Christians we can take towards culture. That is, you can either reject it, you dismiss it out of hand, or you redeem it. You, you ask, actually, what are the God echoes in this lyric? What, what are the spiritual connections or, that we hear? What are the questions people are asking? And then use that as a springboard for a deeper discussion of spiritual truth. And this is really our goal, guys. It is to redeem popular music in a way that really builds a bridge to the timeless truth of God's word. The Bible actually says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Another, and, and, and that includes rock and roll. Probably not hip hop. Uh, definitely not country. All right, that's kind of uh, just, there's my bias. All right, you with me, Liquid? You ready to go? Take out your Bible. We're going to have Adele lead us into the book of Hosea, page 626 in the Old Testament. And as you do that, let me give a special welcome to our friends joining us in Nutley and New Brunswick. We are thrilled. Can we hear it for those guys watching on the big screen? Thrilled you guys are with us today. Each week, you're going to have a live musical performance, and then we'll be joining you on the big screen to kind of dive into Hosea together. And uh, you may ask, you know, well, what does you know, an 8th century prophecy have to do with pop music? Well, Hosea is a love story. It is real. It is tragic. It is true. There are blood on these tracks, as you're going to see, and I'm hoping you'll see some echoes even in your own story where you can relate. And, and here's the deal, just a warning. This, is, this series is PG-13, okay? So heads up, parents, okay? This is, this is a PG-13 series, not because of the music, but because of the Bible story, okay? Hosea is one of those books in the Bible that candidly it never it gets skipped right over in Sunday school. Most pastors never touched it. I have never preached on it because the story is a bit scandalous. Uh, it's... I don't know how to say this. It is, it's a story about a man who wooed and won a whore. I, that's how the Bible puts it. You're going to see this. The Lord actually called a man named Hosea, and he said, I want you to take a prostitute for your wife. And you're like, why would God do that? Why would God actually I, say to a man, I want you to marry a hooker? And he says, because I want you to see this is what it's like to be married to you, Israel. Woof. The scars of love, <laughs> yeah, leave me breathless. It's a story about heartache, about a lover done wrong, and that lover is God himself. You ready to dig in? Okay, parents, earmuffs, okay? This is a moment for earmuffs, all right? Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, the message translation says this. The first time God spoke to Hosea, he said, find a whore and marry her. Make this whore the mother of your children. And here's why. This whole country has become a whorehouse, unfaithful to me, God. As I said, this is not a book we cover in Sunday school. Um, I always think Hosea 1-3 is kind of like a fun verse to scribble at the bottom of a wedding card. 
you know, congratulations on your big day, Hosea 1-3, you know, kind of thing. Um, it, it's hard. It's, it's heavy stuff, all right? Now, a, a little bit of background is probably helpful at this point. Hosea takes place in the city of Samaria. This is the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel, as you may know, were God's chosen people. In other words, God sets up this relationship, this covenant with the Hebrew people. He says, I'll be your God. And you be my people. You, you're going to be my treasured possession, okay? I'm, your, I'm like your husband, and you be my bride. And that went okay for a while. This is around 715 BC, under the reign of King Jeroboam II, when the Jewish nation, listen to this, was rich, powerful, materially prosperous, but declining spiritually. I'll say this again. This was a nation blessed by God that became very powerful and wealthy, but was declining spiritually. Does this ring any bells? Let me, let, okay, oh, let, me, let me tell you Israel's big sins. It's actually amazing. The government levied very heavy taxes. They, oh, easy. They, oppre- <laughs> they oppressed the poor. People were very greedy. And God said, I am the Lord and I do not approve this message, okay? See, God hates when the rich take advantage of the poor and forget where their prosperity comes from. But most upsetting is that Israel had begun worshiping foreign idols, the golden gods of the Canaanites, the surrounding nations. In essence, they were cheating on the one true God of Israel, okay? And God said, it is is breaking my heart to see what's become of you. You, you, You've broken our vow. You betrayed me. You've chased after other gods, and and you've, you've given them your heart like a whore. This is a story about a jilted lover, and that lover is God himself. And to illustrate his heartbreak over his people's betrayal, he said to Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. I mean, imagine this. Take a harlot to be your wife because I want this to serve as a living object lesson to Israel. I want them to see what it's like for me to stay faithful to them in spite of all this betrayal. Now, let's just pause here. TV timeout. We got to acknowledge this is kind of jacked up. Right, this is like heavy stuff. I mean, young men, what would you do if God uh, woke you up in the middle of the night and said, um, okay, here's the deal. I'm speaking to you. I want you to marry a woman uh, who I'm going to tell you ahead of time is going to be unfaithful to you. Uh, she's going to have kids by other men. She will be out every night cheating. She's going to promise to be faithful, but she will two-time you. Then she'll beg forgiveness, but then, then she's going to break up with you over and over and over. And finally, she's going to break your heart and run it through a shredder. This is your new wife. Congratulations. What would you say? You'd be like, uh, no thanks, I'll, I'll pass on that one. But Hosea was a prophet. You know what that means? He was chosen to be a spokesman for God. His job was to preach. He was supposed to vividly proclaim the truth of God's heart to the people of God. And this is probably the ultimate preaching illustration, okay? <laughs> Getting hitched to a harlot. So Hosea obeyed the Lord and he married a woman named Gomer. That's what this story is about. Can we say Hosea, Hosea and Gomer? It's about their relationship and then Gomer's infidelity, which became a living, breathing example to Israel. Now, you look at this and you say, I don't don't, don't get it. A, a, A holy man and a harlot, what good can come of that? Well, watch. At first, Gomer blessed Hosea with a child. Here's what verse three says. You can follow along. He says, so he married Gomer and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Now, I'll I'll stop here. This is the first of three children that Gomer would have, and the names of these kids is very significant. 
God said, I want you to name the first, your first son Jezreel. It was Jezreel was the city. It was the site of one of the worst massacres in Jewish history. It was at Jezreel that the Hebrew warrior, uh, what his name was, Jehu, here it is, right in the text, he slaughtered 70 of the king's sons. In other words, he chopped off their heads, he beheaded them, and took 70's kids' heads and made a pyramid in front of the city gates. Ugly stuff, human bloodbath. Jezreel was literally uh, probably the most ugly massacre in Jewish history up to this point, upset God greatly. So when Hosea names his son Jezreel, it would be like a Jew today naming his child Auschwitz. Just the name alone is horrifying. Concentration camp that Hitler used to exterminate Jews in World War II. Auschwitz, ah! So I want you to imagine this. Every time Hosea walked through the Jewish marketplace looking for his son, Auschwitz, Auschwitz, it would have pierced the soul of every pious Jew by reminding them of the most tragic moment in their history when they abandoned God. And this was Hosea's calling, to actually warn the nation of coming judgment that would befall them if they continued to forsake the Lord and turn their back on him. But that warning fell on deaf ears. Look at verse 6. It says this. Gomer conceived again, second child, gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. And you can see the little footnote in there. You see at the bottom of the page, Lo-Ruhamah means not loved. And it's like, well, now why wouldn't God love his own child? This sounds pretty harsh. Look at verse 8 for the third child. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, God had another son, and the Lord said, call him Lo Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Again, look at the footnote. A Lo Ami means not my people, as in this ain't my child. <gasps> Suddenly you see what's going on. Why these cruel names for these kids? Hosea wasn't the daddy. Remember, Gomer was a prostitute. And tragically, heart-wrenchingly, she left Hosea's house and took up with other men. I mean, can you imagine this? Okay, not just your spouse leaving, but then returning home with a swollen belly. Any man in his right mind would just, you know, kick her out, but not Hosea. God told Hosea, I want you to love that girl in spite of her unfaithfulness and her shame. And that was hard. This is one of the toughest missions in the Bible. It was bitter. Imagine waking up every day and there's your son and next to her are two kids who look nothing like you, actually look like other men. A daily reminder of your wife's betrayal. This isn't my child. This, these are not my people. She's not loved by me. See, these prophetic names show God's reaction to Israel's unfaithfulness. He had, he had lovingly wooed Israel. He's like, I led you out of slavery in Egypt. I brought you into freedom. I've, I've made you my wife. I just want devotion in return. But what he got was actually bitter fruit. I mean, poor Hosea. I imagine how the gossip just spread like over the neighborhood fences there, you know. It, it, you know. Did you hear? Yeah, the preacher's wife left him. Yeah, dude. <laughs> She two-timed him with, 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 other, with a bunch of guys at the bar. I mean, I imagine some, some folks probably said about Jose, well, serves him right. That's what preachers, they're always tell, he's always telling us all how to live our lives and he couldn't even keep his own home together. Hosea had a tough assignment. He was harnessed to a harlot. And although she left his home, she didn't leave his heart. Now, it's easy to wave a finger at Gomer, isn't it? <laughs> and shake your head at Israel's folly and say, oh, I mean, they were a nation that was chosen by God, blessed by God. How, why would they do such a thing? But the truth is, you and I act this way all the time. Although we may have originally, you know, really felt God's love, his affection, his mercy, his grace, 
we tend to drift to less wild lovers. We, we, we actually abandon our first love at times and say, well, you know, that's good, but I think, I think I need a little bit of freedom, you know? I don't always need him telling me what to do. I think, actually, if I had a little bit of space, that would be great. We see that drift on two levels, national and personal. First, I want you to think about our nation. As I suggested earlier, America is a country that shares some eerie similarities with the nation of Israel. I mean, there are a few people who would not agree that America was founded with the sense of, like, divine destiny and, and blessing. Our freedom and liberties kind of, you know, our founders acknowledge that they flow directly from our creator. We're one nation under God, and God we trust. And that, that humility and that strength, I think, has really undergirded a lot of the material success and prosperity of our nation that we've enjoyed for decades. And yet right now, there's a lot of talk about America being a nation, what, in decline. With our economic woes, our waning influence on the international stage, and this growing sense that this like, to toxic culture in Washington has left our leadership paralyzed and just kind of vulnerable. It's interesting because uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham Lotz, she was interviewed on the early show shortly after 9-11. She was asked, why, do you, why would God let such a thing happen? And Ann Graham, she gave, a, I think, a profound response. She said, I believe God's deeply saddened by this just as we are. But for years, we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, and to get out of our lives. And being the gentleman he is, I believe he's calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we demand he leave us alone? That's a prophetic response. You see what she's saying? Over the last 70 years, there's been this kind of national drift in, in America. We, you know, whether it's banning prayer from schools, you can't, you know, display the Ten Commandments. Heaven forbid you mention Jesus, you know, in the workplace. I don't know if you saw this, but New York City just passed a law that will ban churches from renting public schools on Sunday. So that means next week, New York City is going to kick out 68 churches from the neighborhoods where they were meeting and serving. That's tragic. And Graham's point is, you can't just give the Heisman to God, stiff arm him, and cut him out of our daily lives, and then suddenly invoke his protection and blessing when things bottom out. She said, we need to make up our mind. Do we want God, or do we not want him? We can't just ask him in when disaster strikes. That's a prophetic word, I think you would agree, for our nation. Hosea speaks to us on a national level. But he also speaks to us on a personal level. Because a nation only drifts... When, when people allow their hearts to wander. And I'll be honest, there's a, there's a bit of Gomer inside all of us. At least there is in me. Um, as some of you know, I became a Christian at a pretty early age. Uh, grew up in a Christian home where uh, belief in God and, you know, kind of faith in Christ came quite naturally. So I never had this, you know, kind of rebellious moment where I stiffed arm guard. But I did drift. I, I, I kind of left, let my heart uh, in many ways gradually drift from, from intimacy with Christ onto other things. Uh, last summer... Our family rented a house down in uh, Ocean City, Beach House. You guys go down the, the shore of the beach, okay? We were right by the water, and my brother flew in from California, and the kids are playing on shore. I was like, hey, let's go catch up. And so we, we rode the waves. We actually went out beyond the waves where it's, like, real still, and we just started treading water. It's my older brother, and we don't talk a whole lot. So we're like, hey, let's just hang out here, man. Yeah, I can't even hear the kids. Awesome. And we're, <laughs> and we're, and we're like, treading water. We're just catching up. How are things going with your business house church? And we're just kind of treading water and everything, and, and just kind of we're having a great time catching up. And we're doing this for about 15 minutes, and about 20 minutes, and I was like, are your arms tired? He's like, yes. We're very out of shape. And so we're just, we're just treading water, and so he's like, let's go in and get lunch. And so he says, sure thing. And I look towards the shore, and where's the blue awning? 
You, you know how you like pick out a landmark? Like, like you say, okay, that's our, that's our house. There's this blue awning. And the blue awning was nowhere to be found. And we're like, wait, what the heck? What the? And we're looking all over, and we don't see it anywhere along the shore because guess what? We had drifted over the last 20 minutes almost two football field lengths. We were down almost three beaches, quarter of a mile. Just not, not through no intention, but we were, just, we were just treading water, and all of a sudden, just naturally, we drifted. That's often what happens spiritually, isn't it? Maybe, maybe you relate to that. It's not anything particularly intentional, but the reality is maybe months or years ago, you imagined a moment, you can recall that moment when you were really close to God. Think about that moment you, were, you felt like you were closest to God. Like, you, like when you were praying, you were like, oh, snap, God answered my prayers. He heard that. And things happen in your life, and you're like, man, that's a, that's a, what a coincidence. I was just praying about that. Another coincidence. These aren't coincidences. They're God incidences. This is amazing. You, you felt close to him. Do you remember this? Maybe you, you, he told you to say or, or, or do things, and, and you do it, and you didn't know why, but he would bless you, and, and others would be blessed because of it, your relationship was tight. His word was a, a valuable part of your life. You know, you ever have that moment where, where verses leap off the page, and you're like, that's for me, not Hosea 1.3, but the other ones, that's for me. That, that's, that, that verse had my name on it. It spoke exactly to what I'm feeling at this precise moment. And you came to church, you're like, this is for me. This is, God's speaking to me. Tim, that was exactly for me. It was like I was the only one in the room. And, and then one, but then once you had a conflict or something, you couldn't make it, you skipped church, whatever it is. That, whatever, you know, and then, but then it's like, oh, I just, I don't have, you know, time today to get in there, but he let his calls go through to voicemail, which is not a big deal, except it happened again the following week, and then you had a bad month, and it was a tough fall, and now a harsh winter, and now you don't see as many God incidences in your life, because one day, what happened? How did I get over here? I was so close to God at that moment. It wasn't you. You didn't intentionally cut God out, did you? As much as you drifted from him. See, Hosea tells us it's just entirely possible for your heart to be blown off course and end up in another neighborhood. We're born adrift. We're prone to wander, to gomer in all of us. Now, this is where the enemy really likes to drive a wedge between us and God. Because it's at this moment that other idols say, come here, I, I can help repair that drift. Feel that emptiness in your heart? I can help with that. Because your heart, here's the deal. Your heart was made for intimacy. In other words, affection. To have somebody greater than you in love with you and to feel that love and return that love. You were created in love by God. You were created for love with God. And the reality is, unless God is filling your heart with that affection, with that, that warmth and acceptance, we'll go sniffing elsewhere. Some idols offer control. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we, we try to manage ourselves. We create, I want to create a perfect home life. Then I'll be ready, you know, or manicured lawn or shiny car. Or, you know, we go for, you know, dinner or trips or vacations to keep things interesting. Those are all very socially acceptable idols. Pour ourselves into our work, advance our career, close the deal, get the promotion, which again, in and of itself, not necessarily evil, unless they replace the affections of God. Other idols we drift towards are more indulgent because your soul is built for transcendence. So you have to be able to escape the everyday dullness. And, and, and I don't know, I just kind of drifted into an affair. I don't know how that started. Alcohol or meds, we've been talking about this stuff. Or an obsession with sports or, or hobbies, like you're dialed in, I love powder skiing, man, it's all about that. <laughs> Whatever that is, when indulgence happens, it's like crack cocaine to the soul. 
because it's feeding the place in your heart that is meant for communion with God himself. And all of a sudden, you've got these chains on that you can't get rid of, and suddenly you feel trapped. All this clutter, all this idols, all the busyness of life. And God, I don't know, whatever, he, he just seems a distant memory because the relationship has grown cold, lifeless, which is exactly how Gomer must have felt after giving her heart to others. Now, let me just pause here. Because when we talk about this drift, we typically focus on how it makes us feel. But have you ever paused to stop? How do you think this makes God feel? What, what are God's feelings like? I know that's new for some of you. Some of you are like, I don't think God has feelings. I think he's just kind of like watching and he's just judging. He's kind of going along very even. He's always just the same. You know what the reality is? God has very strong feelings. See, the prophets give this vivid picture of what it feels like for God to be married to a Gomer. If you read through the prophets, I was doing this this week, I'll, I'll be honest, it just like slammed me in the face because it's like reading a lover's quarrel that you hear through apartment wall. Listen to this excerpt from Isaiah. Pull this out for you. God says to his people, he says, I long to be gracious to you. You're precious. You're honored in my sight because I, I loved you, but you, come here, you, you offspring of adulterers. You've made your bed on a high and lofty hill, forsaking me. You uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You've been false to me. Yet I'll take great delight in you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so I'll rejoice over you. Do, do you hear the emotion, that mix? It's like there's this struggle inside God's heart that vacillates wildly between love and betrayal. I love you. You're precious. Why'd you cheat on me? You climbed to the bed with the world. I want, but I want you back. I want you back. I want my wife back. My first apartment out of college had paper thin walls. And directly above me lived this couple who I could always hear each night through the walls. I didn't have a television, but it was like being tuned into Telemundo. A lot of drama all the time. <laughs> the guy would come home late and he'd slam the door and she would start in on she kind of like raise her voice and he'd be like, oh, dude, oh, oh. and he'd actually, he was a stomper, he'd pound his foot. She'd scream, then there'd be like more crying and I'd literally be laying in bed like listening to this in the floor above me and they'd be having it out and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's going to be blood and suddenly it'd be very quiet. And then I would hear like kind of muffled stuff, no, no, I'm sorry, no, 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 I forget, no, no, no. And then I would hear different sounds. <laughs> it's awkward. Sounds of, of passion. I will we'll have to just leave that over there. And it, it went on like that at least two nights a week. These like raw emotions, rage and passion. I didn't know if they were going to kill each other or make a baby. It was like crazy, man. I was like weird listening into that. And you know what? If you take some time this week to read Hosea for yourself, that's what you will hear in God's voice. Hurt, shock. He can't understand why the people he's given everything for, he will not return his love. Some of the prophets are amazing. Listen to this excerpt from Jeremiah. Again, this is God talking to you and me. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride, you loved me. What fault did you find in me that you strayed so far from me? And then this is my favorite verse of all time. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, sniffing the wind in her craving. <laughs> in her heat, who can restrain her? Jot that down. That's a verse right there, man. 
God's like, you're a she camel in heat in the 8th century smackdown. Okay, that's a big deal right there. In other words, God's been burned. You know what? He's angry. He says, should I not punish them for that? Should I not avenge myself? I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. What have I done to make you hate me so much? Blood on the tracks. Philip Yancey says the reading the prophets makes him imagine God lying on the couch of a marriage therapist. And the counselor says, well, tell me how you really feel, God. And God says, I'll tell you how I feel. I feel like a jilted lover. When I found my wife, she was wasted and abused and abandoned over here. And I brought her home and I made her my, my beauty. She was my only girl, my precious woman, the most beautiful woman in the whole world. I gave my life for her. I lavished gifts on her. And yet she two times me. I come home and she's flirting with my friends, my enemies. She's anybody. She, 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 she's like a prostitute standing on the corner. Better, she pays people to have sex with her. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel betrayed. I feel hurt like my heart has been through a blender. See, we don't think about God having emotions. He does. There is blood on the tracks of the prophets, strong emotions like we heard in Adele's song. Hosea's like, this is what it's like to have your heart run through the ringer. You can see the scars of love. You had my heart inside your hand, but you played it with a beating. I think Adele, she fits right in with the prophet. She would be on the Hosea's playlist. Her lyrics capture God's heartache. Turn my sorrow into treasure gold. You pay me back in kind and reap just what you sow, biblical. Now I'm going to wish you had never met me. We could have had it all. Tears are going to fall. We could have had it all. This powerful image of a jilted lover explains why in the Bible it seems like God is always changing his mind every few seconds. Do you ever feel that way? Like, especially when you read the Old Testament. All of a sudden, he's ready to, like, obliterate Israel. I'm going to, no, wait, he's weeping. No, please come home. My arms are open. I just want you back. And then all of a sudden, no, he's, he's bellowing judgment again. Those, those wildly shifting moods seem hopelessly irrational, except to anyone who's been betrayed by a spouse or jilted by a lover. I remember the day that couple in the apartment above me went completely silent. Radio silence, no more Telemundo. It was very eerie. And when I went outside that Saturday morning, there were two moving vans by the curb. They had decided to call it quits, decided to go their separate ways. And I, you know, I didn't know them. But I remember seeing the woman, I passed her coming through the door, and she's wearing these big sunglasses to hide her red-rimmed eyes. And seeing her a little bit trembling. And watching those vans just go down separate ways, she was heartbroken. This, my friends, is your God. That's your God. He is a lover, and he is jealous for you. And when we drift, or we wander, or we run, it arouses all his passion. Hosea captures the cycle of anger and grief and forgiveness and jealousy and love and pain that God himself goes through every single day of our lives. This is your God. This is how he feels about you. And if you've drifted, you can identify, know one thing. Above anything else, he wants you back. He just wants you back. I've walked with a lot of friends um, over the years through the breakup of marriages and, and relationship smash-ups, and I can tell you there are, there's probably nothing more painful in life 
I mean, most of them, uh, most of the time it's a bitter affair because uh, for one reason, hearts that bleed are hearts that harden. But there was one smash up that kind of left me shaking my head candidly. A friend went through it, um, won't go into all the details, but a few years ago, his wife had treated him pretty shabbily. She was actually the one who physically took off. And uh, you know, again, you don't need the details because it could, be at, you, it could be anyone and there are thousands of you who have a story that you could tell. But I went to his house and her boxes were there, all her belongings packed as kind of a symbol of her, her heart vacating his. And I expected from him what comes naturally. I expected him to be angry, but he wasn't. I expected him to be outraged and to kind of blame. That's typically how it goes. But he never threw her under the bus. I expected him to, to be white hot with, you know, betrayal. I have been with people who at the first sign of disloyalty, they have the divorce papers drawn up and waiting. They're ready. But my friend was different. I walked in and he just has hands in his pocket. But next to those boxes, he goes, she's not even gone, Tim. And I just want her back. I just want my wife back. And I'm a pastor, so you'd think that I would, like, rejoice. Um, but I knew some of the details, and I was confused. I, I didn't say it, but I was kind of like, after all she's done to you? I understand it takes two to tango, and he was not without his faults. In fact, I think that's what it was. He'd been so open and honest about his failings and shortcomings as a husband and actually confessed them humbly, repented to her, and refused to blame her at all and throw her under the bus. And on the other hand, she'd given him kind of claw after claw after the next. And he says, it doesn't matter, Tim. I, what I said for better or for worse, I meant it. And this is the worst. But I just, I want my wife back. And he started to cry. He said, I just, I just want her back. I've never seen anything like it. That's when I realized my friend has a Hosea heart. See, in all this darkness that God goes through with us, the infidelities, the drifting, the affairs, the illegitimate kids, and all the name-calling, these aren't my people. I don't, I, don't, I don't love her. Chapter 1 of Hosea ends with a very different note. Like all good blues songs, it ends with a grace note. Final verse. God says, although I'm brokenhearted by your whoring, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which can't be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you're not my people, they will be called, say it out loud together, they'll be called sons of the living God. In other words, God's like, I have every reason in the book to divorce you, but I won't do it because I love you too much. And I forgive you. And I want, I just want my wife back. That's how God feels about us. And you may say, like, well, how's that possible? I mean, after all she did to him, serial infidelity, how could Gomer ever make it up to Hosea? How could I ever make it up to God? The answer is you can't. <laughs> That's why God sent his son Jesus to die for you. That's why Jesus came. On the cross, Jesus bore the scars of love to make a way home for you, to repair the relationship. It was basically God's, the father opening his arms saying, I, I forgive you and I don't care what you do to me, but I'm going to hang here because I want our relationship to be restored and I want you to see my heart. See, no matter how far you've drifted, no matter how many times you have broken your vows or, or cut God out of your life, he has never abandoned you. He has never left you. 
When Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was God saying, I will hang right here and wait, but I'd rather die than live another day without you. And you'd be like, you, Tim, you don't know what I've done. How, I could never pay him back for what I've done. You can't pay him back. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay the penalty of your sins. So when we confess our sins, we all of a sudden open ourselves up to reconciliation. We say, I, 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 I'm so sorry. And God says, come here. I don't have a hand for you. I had nails put through my hands for you. When that love touches your heart, your identity changes. You're no longer a gomer. You become a, a son of the living God, a daughter of God. That's what the Bible promises. Forgiveness, mercy, restoration. Hosea concludes with this shining ray of hope. Look at this. This is the prophecy. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be, what's the word? Reunited and listen, they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Remember Jezreel, Auschwitz. In other words, the site of Israel's most tragic moment, the darkest time in their history. God says, I can redeem even that with my love. In other words, you may think you've run too far. Your sins are too many. Your shame's too deep. God could never want you. How wrong you are. You may be in full flight from God this morning. Maybe you're watching online and you've cut God out of your life and you just stumbled here. He is waiting for you to come home, to embrace you. Do you want proof? Look at the scars of love. They remind me of your lover. That's your savior. That's the man who came up out of the land and said, I'm going to reunite the people. That's the prophecy of Hosea. 2,000 years after Hosea, God says, I'm going to come and reveal my heart. And when Jesus took the scars of love, he took what we deserved and opened the path to healing. It is as raw and real as the wood of a cross and the spikes of iron. Folks, those are the scars of love. So when you surrender your life, you say, God, take me back. Christ, come into my heart. God promises. He says, I'm going to cleanse your past like it never happened. And I'm going to give you a fresh start. And God doesn't do that because of what you do. He does it because of what Jesus did. Amen? In Christ, God forgave your sin. And then his love begins to heal your brokenness. The scars of love remind me of us. And you know what? You can have it all. You can have it all. But you have to be humble. You have to admit your drift and come home. That's your God. That's your God. Yes, he still loves you. He has never stopped. He has always loved you, and he's jealous for you. And he gave his life so you could have a new one. So repent. You know what repent means? I'm going this way, and then, whoa, I just saw something new. I'm going this way. I'm changing my mind. I'm thinking I'm going in a new direction. Maybe you've never heard this. Maybe you've never received the love of Christ. This is a moment for you, man. This is a moment for you. Be honest. Tell him where you've been, and then receive Christ's love today. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Let's, let's just pray. All our campuses, let's just take a moment. I want to clear some space for you to talk with God and to receive the love of Christ. Father, thank you for Hosea. Wow. Powerful, God. Um, holy moment. God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be present in this room, in the rooms at all of our campuses. We'd palpably sense the furious love of Christ radiating towards us. Father, I pray for a supernatural filling of your spirit that people who are far from you just feel right now, Father, your embrace. 
that your arms are open wide and you're saying, come on, come to me, come here, come to me. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you brought a leader out of the land to reunite us with you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would receive your love as your people. Maybe you identify today, keep all heads bowed, and, and you said, you know, that's me. I've drifted. I've been far from God. That's me. I, I, I need to receive that love. Would you just shoot your hand up so I can see it, so God can see it? This is a moment for you. Praise God for you in the back. Just shoot it right up there. Hands way up in the back, all over, in our, all of our campuses. Campus pastors are watching. Thank God for you. Whole cluster of hands. This is a moment for you just to receive the healing love of Christ. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we confess our sins to you, and we ask you to forgive them. <laughs> Cleanse us by your blood. Fill us with your spirit. Men and women, welcome them home into the family of God this moment, holy moment. We turn our lives over to you. And all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.